Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week, another episode. Yeah, yeah, here we are. Yes, indeed. So we've got an awful lot of good feedback from our interview with Jeff Fisher uh, last week. And as you heard, the other uh, the other candidate announced kind of right as we were filming or yeah. <laughs> right as we were recording last week. And the, one of the things that was interesting is Sheriff Smith immediately came out and endorsed, which hasn't gone as well as I think people thought it was going to go. Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of surprised given uh, John, it's fan, right? Fan. Given his stances on quite a bit of controversial issues that Justin Smith has spoken out against. Yes. So I'm, so I'm kind of confused. That is something that we are going to uh, keep on following. Obviously, that election is not the election that's coming up here in November, but that is the election for 2022. So we will definitely reach out to uh, Fan and see if he would be willing to come on to the podcast. Absolutely, I think it's going to heat up pretty quick. Yes, it's going to be fun. it's going to be fun. Um, before we dive into this episode, we do want to thank our sponsor for this episode. And our sponsor for the first time was Burke's Tavern. Yeah. So Burke's had helped us out quite a bit um, just a couple of weeks ago with the Avery Center um, fundraiser yes. that we did with Satori Tattoo. And so Brandon, um, he was very, very gracious with helping us with that event and uh, then also sponsoring this episode. Yep, and special thanks to uh, Michaela, Heather, and Ashley for coming in early, helping set up, get everything ready to go, and then being willing there to serve patrons for the event. And then they also had the flannel crawl afterwards, so it was like (laughs) busy as all get out. I hope they did well. Yeah, it was a good time. So again, if you are just in the need for a drink and it's 5 o'clock somewhere, head down to Burke's Tavern in downtown Loveland, right next to Satori and right across the street from Cactus. Awesome. So... One of the th- big things that happened today is commercial flights are back in northern Colorado. Uh, Avello Airlines is now starting to do trips out to Vegas yep. and out to California. Have you ever flown out of uh, the Loveland Airport? I did. When I lived in Vegas, I used to fly uh, Allegiant at the time to yeah. and from the Loveland Airport. They're really nice flights. It's a, a quick trip through the airport. Get in, get out, you're done. Uh, it was always fun walking out onto the tarmac to walk up the stairs and get into the plane. Right? Yeah, it's a little strange. You've been out to the air shows out there, though, too. Yes. Yeah, you go out on the tarmac, it feels very unusual to be that sort of free in a space that is, is confined. Yeah. And so. speaking of which, the air show is coming up. I think that's, what, on the 16th, 17th of this month? I would so, have to double check, but I think the, you're right. Yeah. And the Blue Angels are coming back to northern Colorado, which I think it was... And don't quote me. I think it was 02, 03, something of that sort when they were here last. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even – I I don't think I lived here. <laughs> I think I lived in California, actually. It's possible. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. I, I don't even remember them coming, so you're probably right. Yes, I remember uh, one of the Blue Angels on his big sweep out along the front range. Uh, I think he – hit the afterburners to catch up. He must have been just a little bit behind or something of that sort. Ended up going supersonic. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't end well. Knocked out a few windows, that sort of stuff. But it's it's good times. Hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, definitely take a look at Avello Airlines. So, again, that's nonstop travel to California. Whereabouts in California are they going? Do you? Um, I just have it pulled up here. So, let me see. Um... I know they're going to Vegas, which at that point in time, why not hop on a cheap flight out to Vegas, stay for a night or two, come on back? Yeah, seriously. Um, so I know Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and it did say Southern California, so I'm imagining they're probably San Diego. That works. Um, but that was the only one that was specifically listed. Got it. And so we had another big thing today as far as the groundbreaking. So I know this is, uh, we talked about this probably two months ago as far as uh, Station 10 um, for the Loveland Fire Authority, yep, uh, they were going to break ground on their new station. So that one's going to be out, and it's located just to the east of where Shields and all of that stuff yeah, is, the okay. 2534 um, group. So, But it, it'll be great to have another fire station out there to help with the city. Well, I think it's probably a good strategic location because you got to figure when, when LFRA is responding to fires coming from 34 and from Loveland, they're coming in, they have to cross that I-25 intersection and it's always a hot mess. So if we can pull something <laughs> from the other side, I, I mean, I drive 34 multiple times a week and, yeah. and when you're you know driving that road there, there's 
two intersections, there's always a car accident. Yep. So I could either have a yeah, 30 minute drive in or hour and a half. I have no idea. So <laughs> it's a good strategic location, I think. Well, and then um, with the new development that just to the north of where Sentara is, there's a, a huge development going in. I forget exactly how many houses or how many rooftops. I think phase one is like 400 rooftops that is going in there. So just the overall development out of the Sentara area in 3425. <laughs> But with how much you drive 34, is it a little bit odd seeing the uh, the bridge taken now? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. You know, I that, that's my least favorite drive ever. I hate driving that direction because it just is so time-consuming, especially in the winter. You throw that in. That's why I bought a Jeep, honestly, because uh, you throw that in and you got to go over 34 I-25. Um, but it is weird to see all of those changes that, just that quickly. Yeah. 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 No, I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, there was one thing that you were talking to me about, Johns, uh, Johnstown's Reservoir. Yeah. So D- Dive into that okay. because it, it, uh, you told me, hey, did you hear about the emergency salvage? And I'm like, what, what on earth are you talking about? Yeah. So, so dive into that. Apparently the Johnstown Reservoir Dam has some damage and they need to do some emergency repair on it. But that means they have to drain the reservoir, which they have also apparently also recently stocked. With several different kinds of fish. I know, like, are you kidding me? So i got to read this to you. Let me pull it up because it it was pretty interesting. Um, Okay, so uh, the entire fishery may be lost. So um, CPW has enacted this public fish salvage in order to optimize the use of resources. So um, basically they're applying some emergency salvage regulations for anglers. So fishers can go out there and pretty much do whatever they want to. Um, So there's no limit. It's just go out. Yeah catch as many of these fish as possible as quickly as possible yeah so that they can at least make use of what they stocked it with so of course it's a current size bag and possession limits for all species are suspended oh wow um until the emergency public fish salvage is terminated um so it's permitted only of course at johnstown reservoir because we're not going to give it to other cities yeah um you got to have a valid colorado fishing license and um you can't do commercial angling um and only legal angling you know so you can't illegally use bait all that to so no dynamite is correct. what you're telling them yes, we can't no go out there on a, a little paddle board and <laughs> toss in a couple of sticks of dynamite on a paddle board do you really want to do that hey it could be fun i gotta talk to your wife this is not a good plan you cannot borrow my paddle board fair enough <laughs> this fair is enough. not a good idea no uh but it, you know I, that's actually kind of cool so if you're an angler if you love fishing get out there because apparently it's pretty well stocked and you can as long as you have a valid colorado license there's no limits and there's That's no awesome. size restrictions. I mean, heck yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fisher. Are you a fisher? I enjoy fishing, but I haven't done it in so many years. And now just even, I mean, you go into jacks, you go into shields. I remember fishing in high school, uh, the pond out in front of Lake uh, Loveland High. Oh, yeah, yeah. And being able to go out there and just sit out there for an hour or two, whatever, and, and cast in a line. And it was no big deal. There wasn't, you didn't have to have a fancy fishing pole. You didn't have to have any of that stuff. Now you walk in there and you're like, I don't even own a fishing pole right now. And I'm going, I can't even figure out which fishing pole to buy for just basic fishing. (laughs) So at some point in time, I've got a couple of buddies that are big into fishing and I need to call them up and say, hey, Come with me because I want to get back out there. <laughs> you, you know, you can take advantage of this. I, my daughter does have a great princess uh, reel for you if you'd like to borrow it. Fantastic. Yeah, I like it. She likes the little one. I don't know why. Yeah, it happens. It's a weird kid. So, and then I think the last before we get into our guest today is DU uh, just announced their, I mean, they've got a, uh, they did a, a large purchase. It was a 700 acres. 724 acres. 724 acres. Uh, and it's the old Girl Scout camp. Yep. It's right there by Roosevelt National Forest. Um, so Girl Scouts of Colorado owned it and decided that it wasn't, you know, they were using it for camp, but they weren't using it as much and it was too expensive to maintain. So they made the decision six years ago to sell and they, DU just purchased it for a million under what they listed it at six years ago, but they're going to use it as a, a, a extension new, campus essentially. Yeah. A new mountain campus. So if you happen to be going to DU or looking into going to DU, shoot, in the coming years, that's going to be kind of awesome. I think so, too. It'll be really cool because, you you know, you're in the middle of an entire ecosystem. So that's the point, right? (laughs) All right. Well, let's dive into it. Without further ado, we've got a special guest and our first birthed trustee in May Soricelli. Did Did I pronounce that right? 
Yes, that's correct. <laughs> All right. Very good. May, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time and being on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing, and thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So you've ruffled a few feathers in Berthid, but outside of Berthid, your name is just now starting to get known, it seems like. Apparently, <laughs> Apparently. yes. <laughs> Not uh, my intention, but it is happening. <laughs> so before we dive into into the interview, the first question that we always ask every single one of our guests is, are you a native or are you a transplant? I am so much native, it's ridiculous. Okay, um, dive I, into that. I grew up here. I was born in Denver, lived in Loveland my whole life, graduated from Thomas Valley High School, got married, had great plans of moving the heck out of small town America, and then... We had kids and mm -hmm. found out small town America is pretty dang charming, especially in Berthoud, and it was a call. It was a call to be in Berthoud, so have set up roots there, and now me and my kids are there, and here we are. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So let's dive in because you're on the board of trustees for the town of Berthoud. What Were you politically involved? When did you get elected? Because you were brought onto the board in 2020, beginning of 2020, correct? Yeah, I think the most historic year to get elected ever. <laughs> yeah. um, so April 2020 is when I got sworn in. And I, yeah, I was running, but it was funny because I hadn't really intended to run. Um, but with a lot of requests and pushing from people, I realized that they needed somebody to advocate for them. And I threw my name in there kind of somewhat hoping that I would get ruled out, but <laughs> I ended up getting the majority of the votes in that ballot, and I thought, hey, there's something going on here, and I want to listen to what people are saying. They want something different, and they want to see something change, I think, in our town. So I, it, we jumped in with both feet in April, and things went crazy. Actually, things went crazy before we got elected, and we had to start getting to work before even then. So I was going to say, because April of 2020, to be sworn in, you're – Everything shut down on March 18th. So at that point in time, I know I was in the middle of my campaign during that time. And all of a sudden, you aren't campaigning anymore. You aren't doing coffees. You aren't doing meet and greets. You aren't, you aren't out there in the public. And so the fact that you were still able to get a majority, that has to speak volumes as far as why you were on the, on the ballot to begin with. Yeah, and that's the wild part. And I, I honestly I have to credit God because I – I was like, God, I'm not doing this. You have to just bring somebody to tell me to run. <laughs> and that day, the mayor was in my office like, hey, I really think you should run. And I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> well, there I, it can't, is. I can't deny that. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to campaign, okay? So, God, if, if I don't get in, it's I'm just, you know, then it wasn't meant to be. And I didn't campaign. I And <laughs> like not a lick. I know that's maddening. But it was like. It just slightly. That's why it was like, okay, clearly there's a reason. And in March of 2020, I knew what that reason was. And it was because I know emergency services and I know what to do when things go crazy and sideways. And so in March, before things went crazy and I got elected, it was still, I was already at the board meetings trying to champion funding, like immediate relief funding from the town of Bertha to our small businesses before they lost their businesses. So it was kind of like, okay, now I know why I'm supposed to be here. And then it's kind of been one thing after the other since then. So... Wow. So Berth is a small town. You know, obviously it's growing and and we're at a point, especially with TPC Colorado, that we're looking at exponential growth. And so being kind of right there in the middle of the pandemic, Berth is growing. How did other people that were not up for election, how did they view you as you came in? Um, just the community. Or the other members on the trustee and the community as a whole. I think there was a great relationship, honestly, because I have been involved in so many different things in the community, just as a mom, as a writer, as a photographer. I work in town. There's just so many different capacities I've served in the community that I think they just got to know me. And so it's just been a, a relationship thing, building thing that I didn't really realize was maybe leading up to something bigger. Um, but even on the board, I think there was great working relationships there, too, just because there was some similar um, just hearts for the community. Mm. So now you've ruffled some feathers, to put it nicely, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> dealing, dealing with the school board. But you are in a unique position because 
and if you're comfortable with me saying this, you have three kids. You have one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. Yes. So you see the entire gamut. Oh, my gosh, yes. And so yes. a lot of it came out with Thompson School District when they were debating the mask mandate. Yes. So dive us into that because there has been many, many um, versions of the story that have come out. And you've been attacked quite a bit as being an anti-masker. You've been attacked as being anti-science, all of this stuff. So tell me your side of the story. Well, I appreciate you asking. And I, I, I giggle when I hear some of those things, to be honest, because it's not founded. Like there's, I just feel like there's so much that people are hearing on the news. It's easy to put people and lump them into a category. And so I like being able to clarify what, what I've experienced and what my position is with all of that. But um, the first most, I think that the most shocking transition was sending all my kids to school the first week. And it was the first week they'd been to, to school in a mask in over a year. And the atmosphere was like electric. I mean, the teachers, the students, the schools, it was just like, it was like celebratory. The first week of school was like, oh my gosh, this is normal. And they get to be kids again. And it, my son started his, his first day in middle school and my daughter's first day in high school and my, my youngest is in first grade. So I was like, this, these are big years for these kids and maybe mm. it could be better than pretty much the hell year that was last year. <laughs> That's a good description. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. it was, it was, so. it was, right? And so the contrast of having that to then hearing rumors that the masks were going to come back. And I think for most people, they think, well, it's just a mask. Well, if you had kids in them all year, you know it wasn't just a mask. There was so much that came down on those kids that they didn't even know what was happening to them or what they were processing. But there's a lot of just mental health things that were happening to them because of that distance from being in normal relationships and normal contact with people for so long that they couldn't handle it. And I know I wasn't the only one, but what was interesting to me too is that the school district, they had clarified we have no intention of – putting masks on the kids like this was the first week of school and it was a week later that we were hearing that the mandates mm -hmm. were going to come down so it was like wait a second we took you at your word we, all of these parents went down this path thinking okay we are we're taking you at your word um and so when that transition happened i had and usually with things at, at town at the town hall level you'll get like two or three people messaging you calling you emailing you about things that they're concerned about I had easily a hundred parents emailing me, calling me overnight, and they were, and these aren't like radical right wing people. These are like bipartisan parents who are like this. My this my kids can't do this again. Like they literally cannot breathe in class. They don't give them mass breaks. They're suffocating, and they don't know what to do or how to advocate for themselves. And even if they do, they get in trouble. Um, and so that was just like, it just sunk my heart because it was like, not only did I understand what they were talking about, but I was like, they have no voice in this because they've been trying to say things and nobody's listening. And so I, in within a day, I was like, can anyone meet at Fickle Park then if, if you guys all feel this way and sign this petition to at least get the board to push pause on this decision until they hear the argument in defense of birthed parents, because that's who you know, who, who I care the most about. I care about all of them, but definitely the birthed parents. And so within like 15 minutes after school one day, we filled up over 100 signatures, which I don't know if you've ever gotten signatures for something, but that's a really <laughs> it's a difficult big number. thing yeah, it to is do. And to I, do. Was, I was just yeah. looking at these parents and they were pleading, like, please do something. And I'm like, what do we, what do, we do? Like, I, I don't even know how to handle some of this stuff. None of us have been really trained for this. Um, and I'm still fairly new, right? So I took it to the board. I pleaded my case. I pleaded their case, was really kind and sweet, and was like, I really think that, that they will listen and rise to the occasion and at least consider what we're talking about. And then the next week, the mandates went in, and even the conversation after the pleas from parents was just so dismissive of everything everyone had said, and it just broke my heart. It just – I just was devastated. It was like, what is going on in this country? Like – I know this isn't just a school board thing, but why aren't we listening to people? It happens at Berthoud, too, like at the town of Berthoud. It was like, what does political affiliation mean? What does anything mean if we're not listening and then responding? So that's where a lot of my, my the fire in me just really got lit up. Um, and then even just speaking out about that at all definitely got me into 
into a difficult position with the town because, you know, my fellow trustees saw it as a political move and, you know, they didn't really, some of them didn't really like me beforehand. So it was an opportunity to, to cut me down. Um, but it's part of the, it's just part of being in leadership, right? Is you win some, you lose some, but the second time I approached the school board was to call for the resignation because I truly believed that if we're not listening to the people and we're enforcing any type of medical mandated thing onto somebody's body or possibly, you know, into someone's body for doing vaccines down the road, um, that they're in breach of the Constitution. And that's a wild thing. Like I never in a, in a million years imagined I was going to be calling for leaders' resignation over def defying the Constitution. And on my wall, in my kitchen right now, I have my oath of office, I swore, and it basically just says that I swear to uphold the Constitution. And so that just, I stare at that every day, and I'm like, that is the premise for everything that, that we're fighting for. So I don't know if you have any <laughs> questions. I could go on and on. Yeah, no, it's and that's part of the reason why we wanted you on, is to be able to just sh share your side of the story. Ooh. Because uh, speaking of a trustee that doesn't agree with you. Uh, Jeff Hindeman sent a letter, a scathing letter to the school board, essentially saying she's not with us. She doesn't know what she's talking about and you need to ignore anything and everything that she said. How did you take that and how did you approach that? <laughs> I'm not really sure you could take that any other way. <laughs> Confused by that actually. Yeah, that was, um, the interesting thing about that one, too, is I hadn't seen it. It was actually forwarded to me by a third party who had seen it. So I wouldn't have even known it had, it had existed at all. Um, but I do believe there's lots of emails like this that have been going on for a while. And the first thing I think is this isn't the first issue he's taken issue with me over and has responded this way. So, yes, there's a trend there. However, this one bothered me in a very special way because – it wasn't that he was discrediting just me, but he was discrediting every single person who put me in my spot, who voted me into a seat. It's it, He can disagree with me on my opinion all day long. That's fine. We're, we're supposed to have differing opinions on a board. But what bothers me is he's diminishing my character and who I am so that anything that I do or, or put out or stand up for is diminished, which diminishes every single person that voted for me and is coming to me for advocacy. Um, so that is, that was a tough one. And I think my response at this point, cause like I said, there's been many emails like this in the past, mm -hmm. not just to me, but mainly to me. Um, this has also been happening with our, just the board of trustee emails, which I'm, I'm encouraging people to just pull those, to pull our emails, read them, read what's going on behind the scenes, because I won't, I won't engage with any of that. I don't engage with, I'm not there to argue or or fight with my fellow elected officials. I'm there to get stuff done. Like I'm there to work. Um, so my, my biggest thing with this, um, email and I, I'm a woman of faith. So I prayed about it and I was like, well, well what should I do? And I think the only thing I do is make it public and just put it out there and let people see it and decide what they think about it. And they can respond how they feel is necessary. Um, I think it's like, it's one of those things I keep encouraging people. Like this is a new muscle. Everyone's having to learn how to develop. How do you engage with your government, your local government, how do you get up there and, and speak and present and do it in a diplomatic way, but that confronts things that you don't agree with or that holds your officials accountable. And so I'm, I'm encouraging them keep flexing this new muscle because before we were complacent, we didn't really have to worry about it because mm -hmm. people were deciding things like where to put a park and stuff like that. <laughs> it's, yeah, a little, I, it's a little bigger now. <laughs> I know I've attended a couple of uh, birthed town halls or the, not the town halls, but the, the meetings. And it was me and the person from the birthed surveyor. And that was the extent of it. Unless somebody else was speaking it there, nobody showed up to him. And now people are starting to show up, which it'll be interesting because you've got a board meeting coming up next Tuesday. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think next Tuesday should be quite interesting because I think there's going to be some ruffled feathers from citizens um, which I think they have the right to be frustrated. And the other thing is like the fact that um, the email that was sent out was derogatory towards one of our businesses in town. And even if I don't agree with a newspaper, I'm not going to be the one to put 
a business down, especially one that supports our community and does such amazing things in our community. So that really bothered me too. So I really hope that people deal with these issues so that we can get back to work. I think it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of effort and I'm going to get beat up a little bit, but I'm learning new muscles too. I'm (laughs) learning how to have thick skin and be brave and strong and I got to tell you, I wasn't intending on going through all this as a single mom. So I'm, it's the time it's, I don't have the time for this kind of crap, but it's so important to me that the parents and the community members have somebody standing in the gap and just yeah. advocating that I'm, I'm still standing, still standing. That's good. And I know with the mask mandate, a lot of people's, a lot of people started to question it. Obviously I think Thompson school board did a horrific job of how they rolled it out and the whole reason behind it. I died in, I dived in quite a bit to try and figure out what was going on. If they would have said, Hey, we're going to start the school with a mask mandate for 90 days and then reassess after those 90 days, the entire environment would have shifted Mm -hmm. because at least a decision would have been made. But to flip-flop, because I think it, was, it wasn't even after the first week. It was Wednesday. School started mm-hmm. on Monday yeah. and Tuesday, and on Wednesday they were saying, hey, we're going to be going back to the mask. Mm-hmm. That pissed off an awful lot of people. But then uh, it was the untold stories that I heard the next week as far as, again, it wasn't in high school. It was just K-8 through eight that had to have the initial mask, mask mandate. But... I heard reports from a couple of the middle schools that teachers were forcing the masks on the kids that, I mean, it was getting physical and to have that. And I heard many parents speak out to the board against that. And they were very dismissive about any of that. And so when you go a step further and say, okay, Thompson school district got 16, Oh, just over $16 million in funds from the federal government. And, it was a prerequisite for that is they have to abide by the health department. Right. So it doesn't really matter whether or not the parents disagree with it or not. We took all this money. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to enforce it. And that's another issue that most people don't know about. Mm -hmm. So it's the fact that you were willing to step up and at least have the conversation. And that's the part that's infuriating is the conversations haven't been happening. Mm -mm. No. And even if you try to have the conversation, there's a pushback that, you get called an extremist and anti-vax or anti-masker and you're just eliminated as a, a viable, you know, communicator. So yeah, there hasn't been any two way conversation. I'd even be happy with a compromise at this point where there's some people at the table that would say, what can we do to meet in the middle? But that hasn't happened. And that's disturbing from, from leadership. And I, I, you know, the thing that keeps getting me about the victim mentality for leaders is that we're not victims of the people. If the people are mad at us, then we're the issue and we need to either do something about it or remove ourselves because we're not entitled to be in our position. We answer to the people. And so I'm getting really frustrated by this victim. Can can you repeat that for the people in the back? You know, just our elected officials are there for the people. Sorry. Yeah. What's that about? Um, (laughs) What, what's the declaration of independence all about really? But yeah, I think that was, that's what's been hitting me is I, you know, even in that email that went out was saying, I'm so sorry how awful, you know, you're being treated. And I'm like, if the leadership is misbehaving, it's the people's job to hold them accountable. And so that's where I, I'm both holding leadership accountable. If they're not doing something that's honorable, then they need to be held accountable. And I'm also kind of holding citizens accountable to say, hey, you need to get up and say something. You need to get up and advocate for what you think. Even if it's not making headway, if, if you don't do the right thing now, will you regret not having at least tried to say something at this time in history? So. Yeah. Well, and it also puts you in a, a far different position than most parents, because not only are you a parent and you have a, a child at, at every level, every level, yeah, at every level. So you're seeing it from elementary school to high school and being in a position, especially with the, the email that was sent as far as was, were you not supposed to speak because you're a parent because you sit on the board of trustees of Berthoud, or how does that dilemma <laughs> yes, well, come into play? And I was very careful when I spoke up at the, the school board meeting to say people are coming to me because I am 
they're like elected official and birthed. However, I'm not speaking as that. I'm just speaking on behalf of them and speaking on behalf of my own children. So I think it, it gave me, I was like, you know, I have this front row seat to all of these families. I have no political agenda in any of this. Um, and in fact, my kids won't be there much longer if things continue because that's the best thing for me and my family. But it doesn't mean that this fight's not still important. But it's a delicate line to walk. But I also realize when you live in a small town, some people wear a lot of different hats and mm -hmm. you just end up having to, to juggle and balance. The accusation that I was um, using my my position inappropriately is comical because the email in itself is doing the same thing. And, you know, it's labeled Trustee Hindman, and this is what I think, and this is what I think you should do as a board. He literally did the thing he said that I shouldn't be doing. So that's why you have to laugh a little bit to say you can't take that seriously because it's this it's a double standard, right? Um, and it's it's not like he hasn't utilized his position in other ways. And that I would never use it inappropriately. It's purely to advocate for those who are coming to me. I have no political agenda. That would be, to me, a different story. Um, and so I think being... I think being hypocritical is not an appropriate use of your your elected position either. But I mean, yes, but that's what seems to be <laughs> part of the course from our elected officials as of late. You I don't seem, disagree. You seem to be an anomaly. <laughs> I <laughs> so. might be, and that's you know that's why I'm willing to take heat sometimes because I know it's like it takes a lot of courage to be honest and to genuinely care about people like. I, we, I've spent a lot of time in tears with some of these families and with my own kids and what they're going through. Like it's, this is very real. It's not just, it's not just a little thing. There's real things going on and there's a lot more science that's not being discussed. It's one-sided science. And so that's where if they just listen, I think that we'd get a lot further. And unfortunately money needs to really be removed from these equations because it is corrupting decision-making across agree. the board. Across and the board. And pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On the science side of things, I know one of the things that we were talking about um, prior to you coming on is Jen's like, all right, tell me a little bit more about May. What what is her stances? Because she's heard the issues in front of the school board, but doesn't know a lot about you. So, but I know Jen had a few questions for you as far as the science side. So I'm throwing her on the spot. Well, I guess the first thing I want to establish is that I, I absolutely appreciate that you have a voice and that you're giving a voice to people who may not be on the, on the mainstream side of things right now. Mm -hmm. So are you an anti-masker? I, I can't say yes, because I think it's a matter of choice. Like, yeah. if you're walking around with a mask, I'm going to treat you like a human and love you and be kind to you. And, you know, if you need space or you don't feel comfortable or confident, you know, being around people right now, that's totally fine with me. And so I think to say anti-mask is is almost just, it's limiting. I would concur know? with that, yeah, okay. because you may or may, and I, I'm just asking to be point blank so yeah. that it's, it's no. really clear where no, you stand. I um, and I, I should say, of course, I, being in the... Being in um, nursing, of course, I'm going to be pro-mask, but I don't like wearing a mask either, I, and I wasn't real thrilled about my kids. Suddenly, we have to change this, right? Mm -hmm. And I was very unhappy last year with all of the school board changes, and when we didn't know what was coming a week from tomorrow or what was you know what was going to happen the week after that because it was always going to be different. So I, I take yeah. issue with mandates. I don't mm -hmm. like that at all. <laughs> Amen. Um, so what, um, tell me the things that you, your constituents, the people that are talking to you are saying for their reasoning for not wearing masks. What are those reasons? Oh, there are several. Um, but what I would just say in general, what amazes me is how bright and intelligent people are. And that just because you're an elected official doesn't mean you have some sort of superior knowledge because you don't. You're not in, just all automatically endowed with that. So when I had people coming to me um, at even like the, the the signature collection, there was some, there was a surgeon there who had said, you know, I believe in the vaccine, but the vaccine, but the masks are are detrimental for all of these reasons. And so then there was just person after person I'm like these people have jobs that they have information like the construction workers like if they they have a, a thing that goes off if they're not getting enough oxygen and if they're wearing the mask it goes off automatically mm -hmm. and so there it's it's a violation of 
of safety protocols for, at, at their jobs. And so there's things like that where I'm, you're just hearing this information, but ultimately you're seeing a lot of them are just watching their kids and watching what's happening to them. Like the first week the mask went into place, my son had nosebleeds and headaches every single day. And it just makes you pause as a parent and say, what on earth is going on? The only thing that changed was this. And so I think that's the kind of story I'm hearing from every parent. Is there some some sort of factor that's happening that is unusual only when it ha- only with the mass? Um, and like I can only speak mostly from my experience, but even with my first grader, she spent kindergarten in a mask, and she was having full on anxiety attacks. And that's not her her nature at all. She's the most confident, daring. She's the most dangerous child I've ever met. Honestly, like, <laughs> hey, God, I got one of those. God help me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. she was she could not put it on her face without having complete panic attacks because of something that was happening psychologically. And so I think it's just, there's so much that we haven't had the time to understand everything, but we, the, the, the signals are going off in our head of saying something is seriously wrong. And then I think the data that no children have died in Larimer County of COVID and even serious hospitalizations are extremely low, if not non-existent. And that's where it's like, when you look at that data we're looking at why are the children being punished or affected by something that doesn't affect them. And so that that's the big argument for a lot of parents is it's hurting the kids, but the actual virus we're protecting them from isn't a threat to them. So that's where, that's where a lot of people are falling in that kind of category. And I think that's their right. And, yeah. and I think the biggest thing that hit me and I shared this with the board was that first week we had back to school night Teachers, staff, parents, kids, there were maybe like two masks in all of the buildings. So it's like somewhere, you know, like we're, it's a psychological conditioning that we need them because everyone was fine without them. Well, it's almost like, you know, we, okay, we don't need masks. We can start, let's go. And then suddenly, no, 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 never mind. You do need to put a mask on. And our kids, right. my kids kind of did the same thing as far as that panic of, well, is it happening again? Are we, is, do we have to do this again? Yeah. You know, like, are we going to go back online? Cause you know, my, my 16 year old was thrilled about not being in school. He did not <laughs> care. He, I, but after a while, you kind of started to see it take a toll on him. You know, there's yeah. a social aspect of school. So we did have, I think it was that first week. The reason we, um, Thompson school district did say like, we need to, um, put the mask mandate back into place was because we had 129 kids that pop positive. So my biggest concern was, and Alex and I talked about this. Um, my biggest concern was it's not even really, if it's going to, affect our kids so much, but where are they taking it out into the community, right? Because we know just based on even flu and RSV, oh God, so many of them, we know that they're typically the carriers of the virus, even if they are affected by it. RSV, of course, affects kids um, and elderly, but we knew that they were taking it out and it was spreading like wildfire because of that. So Mm -hmm. I guess I would ask you, what do you think that this solution would be then? Like, how do we mitigate that? Yeah, well, and that's hard to say, right? Like, if if we had that answer, it this would be a lot right. easier situation. But I <laughs> yeah. do think we know those who are at risk and doing everything we can to protect those individuals. And I mean, throwing everything we've got in those areas, like financially and medically, making sure those that are at risk have everything they need to survive this thing and or to prevent it from spreading to them. So that's where I'm like, I think our focus is is backwards because. If we can, if we can catch the normal flu, and survive it, and have a healthier immune system afterward, then that to me is the most sensible thing to happen. But if we have at-risk um, people in our communities, then then we need to be focusing our efforts on on protecting them in different ways that don't affect our children, right? right? And don't and don't pin neighbors against neighbors and family members against family members and. You know, it's like we, the thing about it is everyone I know was perfectly happy to, to be protective that first year. Yeah. But I think after a year of just complete loss, um, some people were at the, and myself included, are at the point where it's like, we need to live. Like if, if, if we're all at risk of dying (laughs) every day, we need to just get on with our life and our kids need to live and they need to feel safe in, in their, in their little world, the best of, of our ability as parents. So that's kind of my I'm going to say that's my opinion because I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody else, but 
Well, I appreciate you sharing your opinion. I, we probably we don't agree at all <laughs> on, okay. on a lot of on a lot of that's okay. levels. But I think it's nice to hear you know because for me it's like I think about our elderly people being isolated in nursing homes, and here we have you know our kids are obviously being isolated, and we have higher rates of suicide and anxiety attacks and mental illness and all this stuff coming in. And I don't know that there is a solution. I think what's frustrating for me is that like now we have this mandate and. You have to do it. You have no choice unless you're just going to totally buck against authority and your kids are going to be in trouble and you're going to get all the phone call. I got a phone call last week. One of my kids chose not to wear their mask. I was like, really? Because, okay, okay. You know, so I had a discussion about, okay, why are we, you know, why are we doing this? Oh, I'm just getting irritated by it. Well, I understand that because I have to wear one all the time, you know, but I, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the compromise is because like you said, a year ago. Everybody was, we're going to wear masks, we're going to isolate, we're going to quarantine ourselves, we're going to be really mindful, and people are so darn tired. It's a compassion fatigue. It is compassion fatigue. Mm. It is compassion fatigue, Mm. and people are exhausted. You know, and I don't, I mean, I certainly, um, I'm obviously a (laughs) pro-vaxxer, but, you know, I I mean, I had COVID, and. Yeah, and so that's some of the other stuff that we've been dealing with, is when when you look at the mandates. Um being able to give somebody choice versus mandating them. Yeah. I think the Biden administration did a horrible job with the mandate. I think a much more effective um, because everything was going up with dealing with vaccination rates. And we had talked about this earlier. And then as soon as the mandate took effect, all of a sudden the pushback started. Yeah. We saw that happen here locally. As soon as the mask mandate happened pushback started (laughs) yeah and so when you're dealing with that sort of situation just like the the vaccine mandate coming from the federal level if all of a sudden the biden administration would have said hey i'm gonna abide by what i said on my campaign i'm not gonna make it mandatory but you have six weeks to get vaccinated before you have to start paying for it that would have had a very different reaction than the mandate well and i think the the idea when people Employers are starting to say, well, you're going to pay a lot more for your health insurance if you are unvaccinated. Um, so you're essentially being punished for making a choice that you feel is right for you. I, again, I do not like mandates. I, mm-hmm. I just don't. And I don't feel like it's something, like you said, if they <laughs> make it elite, it's a hundred bucks. You can only get it if you're, if you're at the 1%. <laughs> I don't know, you know, but it, what's frustrating <laughs> is, is that when you start doing that and you start saying you have to, you have to, you have to, you're going to get pushback. Right. Just like you said, it's, this is our freedoms. And, and I would say I totally appreciate people's right to push back against those things. Mm. I'm frustrated from the medical stance of it because I'm, you know, in the trenches, but yeah. Well, and I want you to know, like, I, I so appreciate what you do. And I also appreciate your opinion on that because of what you do. Like, I think that's an insight that we need to have, and we need to be able to have those conversations. And so I, I, I love that. And I think that's where, at this point in this stage of how things have progressed, I'm like the only thing, if we have no solutions for everything, right, that's going on, to me it's like it, we just can't, we can't go back on our constitution. We can't go to the extent where we're now infringing people's freedoms and their, their rights. And if we need to work around what ha- what that looks like with people choose if they want the vaccine or a mask, that's fine. Let's work around that and figure that out. But let's not make people do something that they are not okay with with their body, right? Yeah, it's a real it's a real beautiful way of saying, hey, we want to pit you guys against your neighbors. Yeah, and I don't that's you know? that is the last thing I think. And that's yeah. that honestly, yeah. that's um that's one of the things I want to talk about briefly tonight is with all this stuff with town hall is like my my hope is never to ruffle feathers, to start an issue, to start a disagreement. It my really my hope is that we improve and we can get to better processes for things that are more effective for serving our community, but right now it's like as communities, we so need to rally, and we need to rem- remind ourselves that we're neighbors. Jeff Heinemann's my one of my neighbors, but he has completely forgotten that he's a neighbor. You know, it's like what that what does it look like to be neighborly? <laughs> you know, it's like right. it, it's so silly to me that we would let politics get in the way of anything and being an effective community and taking care of one another and whatever the other person needs. So that's my hope in anything is like it's not to just rattle the cage. It really is to say, hey, let's get back to removing politics from the middle of the issues yeah, and helping each other make the best decisions that are independent and unique for each family and each person. Yeah. You throw politics in the mix and then it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. And it's like, I think that's why, 
a lot of times, like, just like Alex said, that's why we're getting these pushbacks on mandates is because people are, you can't tell me what to do with my body, with my freedoms. Right. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's been super frustrating. Yeah. I couldn't do your job, Jen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because of everything that you guys have to deal with. And part of the reason why I'm state, stating that is because I look at it from about a 30,000-foot view of a lot of the issues that we are dealing with right now is because of how many people in authority have spent the last 18 months lying to the American public. Those lies have come out, and now you want to mandate things. Now you want – because people don't follow what you're saying anymore because you have been proven to be a liar – and so because people aren't following you anymore because of that, now you're having to mandate your opinions. And so that's the other frustration that, that I have coming out of this because this is uh, – we've had some great banter back yeah. and forth because this is something that you and I do disagree on. Hmm. I, I agree with the 30,000-foot view, and that's how that's usually how I look at things too. It's like this is – we look at the issue, but there are bigger things going on here. Like these aren't – local level issues these are really happening on every level but for me it's amazing being at the local level seeing this a uh, really great example like a petri dish of what's happening at the na- national level so it's like mm-hmm. okay this is the same dang issues happening <laughs> at every single level and how do we tackle it and really it's to make sure that that people are empowered with a couple things information for one like Huge. empower them with their own their ability to research and have adequate information on all angles so they can make rational choices And then you have to remove fear because fear will will eliminate rationality every single time. Every single time. You will will be fight or flight. You will not make clear decisions. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. And the reason why is because fear – there was a Gerard Butler movie about teaching somebody how to surf and uh, that came out I think a decade ago or something along those. And I don't even remember the name of the film, but one of the things that stood out is – in order to surf this big wave, you had to hold your breath for four minutes because if you got tossed off, you were going to be under the wave for four minutes. And he's teaching this kid how to surf and how to hold his breath. And a shark comes through and he panics and he pulls him back up onto the boat. And Gerard Butler's character says to him, he says, fear is a wonderful thing. Fear will save your life. Panicking, panicking will get you killed. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I, and I, so the, yeah. having the fear aspect, I understand that because that will save your life. The flight or, um, fight or flight and being able to go through that. But it's the amount of panic that we have had and yes. the panic that I seems agree. to be continuously brought up on every level. Even at Thompson School Board mm-hmm. where, hey, if this saves one kid – you know, it's creating that fear, but it's not even that fear. It's the panic behind it of how how dangerous is this to my kids? How What is going to happen? And it's creating that panic that is causing so many issues. I totally agree. I think I think you're right. I think there's a healthy level of fear in, in understanding something. And, and I think you're right. We are definitely in the panic place where people are operating out of pure panic. And so when I talk to parents that are in that place, I try to remind them, I'm like, if you got those emotions deal with them before you speak publicly because it's not going to come out articulate mm-hmm. it's you're going to be in that fight or flight place and your message isn't going to be received so and that's a hard thing to do in this time in history it's really hard for them yeah. but it's a new thing they're learning but i definitely think the hysteria i think we could even use that word the hysteria that we're seeing we need to we need to deal with where that's coming from and how to, what to do with it and i'm going to leave it up to each person to, to figure out what that looks like but for me, it's like I got to turn off the the news and social media. Like you have to <laughs> flat out say, turn detox it off. and think yeah. and just do you know a three sixty and say what's really going on? Am I really in danger? And what do, if there is something I need to be fearful of in a healthy way? What do I do with it? And what can I do? And so I think that's where it's like we're we're training ourselves on how to operate in this almost wartime mentality where things maybe aren't quite normal. Right, and we don't have to go to war with each other to find out a yes. solution that works for everybody. I think that's Amen. what's really frustrating is that yeah. it's the, well, okay, so we may have opposing views. That's fine. Yeah. We can talk about it. We can learn from each other. And to be honest, it probably right. makes each of our arguments stronger. Right. But we're not going to walk out of the room and, you know, yeah. spit at each other and walk away. <laughs> Please don't. Absolutely. No, exactly. <laughs> and that's how it can be. And I yeah. have a lot of friends like that. And that's where I'm like I get so frustrated Same. with people that are being hateful because I'm like that is just – it's at that point, it's like, we can't do anything with that. We can't work with that. 
And yeah. it is just dehumanizing. I would concur with that. Being hateful is not going to solve any problem. What it's going to do is make that person dig their heels in even more, yes. and they're not going to listen to a word you have to say. Yes. Uh, and I've seen that. In addition to that is when you do speak out. The other thing that has been, at least that I've been seeing, with the moment that you try to have the conversation, you're labeled an anti-vaxxer, anti-science, anti-this, anti-that, whatever it may be. But it also, what's that, what that is doing because of that immediate response, it's not allowing people to actually go through their emotions. Right. So they're spiked with whatever may be going on. And instead of allowing them or pulling themselves out of that situation to be able to think about it for 10, 15, 20 minutes and say, hey, it's all right that I'm feeling this way. It's all right that I have these thought processes. So that way I can actually develop what, what how to move forward, what to think about it, where I do need to research about something. And so that's something that I, I've seen. I work in the mortgage business. And when you have somebody, if you have a, a deal that's going sideways, somebody bought a car at the last minute and it's messing up the loan, <laughs> something along those lines, it's being able to manage that situation and say, hey, it's all right to feel frustrated right now. Let's spend 15 minutes feeling frustrated and then dive back in. Mm -hmm. But we aren't even allowing people those 15 minutes to be able to say and, yes, feel what they're going through. Hmm. That's really good. Alex and I will have Discord and, and conversations <laughs> usually the day or two before we we <laughs> do a podcast. We kind of talk and we're like, okay. Because, you know, both of us have our own opinions, but we don't want to, you know, you don't want to sound like a jerk. You know, so it's like you sort of just run those things by each other. The other day we're talking and he's like, now, wait a second. Let me vent for a minute. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm like, well, you're wrong. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Yeah, actually, that's the entire point of this podcast, though, is that we may not always have it, the same though. opinions. But here we are. Let's come to the table and talk about why, you know, why we have the feelings and whatever. If you don't allow that, then there's no room for growth. Absolutely. Um, and you need community to be able to vent off that steam. Yeah. Like you just have to, it, it's okay to acknowledge that it, things are, things are not the way they used to be. And you know, they may not go back to the way they were. So how do we move together as communities? And I just have this visual in my head that I just can't shake. It's, it's like, if we could just find a way to lock arms, that no matter what happens, we're going to get through this and we're going to be better, stronger communities. We're going to be more back to that village mentality where it's like, what resources do you have? What time do you have? How can we contribute and help one another out instead of this war? I think that's where it's like, we. I think we can pull through whatever is going on at the national level. If at these local levels, we really learn how to work together again and make room and for allowance of, of differences. Because like since I've been on the town board, Anytime I have a different opinion, which is pretty much 99% of the time, <laughs> I am an anomaly, I guess. I don't know. I don't know I was that weird. But I usually do, and I usually I usually vocalize it just because I'm like, well, I think it, we should have some different opinions. It makes us more well-rounded as a board and represent more people. Yeah. But even then, I get he, I get so much heat and so much – I just get hammered in those meetings, and it's, it's an opportunity for growth. And I want people to be encouraged that the, that can make us better and stronger and more – compassionate people it doesn't have to make us bitter and jaded and we don't have to respond that way to the people that are treating us poorly either yeah so i do want to change topics a little bit because on the fourth so just a couple of days ago people were starting to be able to purchase um their rec center so Berthet has a new rec center that's coming in um, a lot of people outside of Berthet aren't familiar with this aren't aware that this is going to be opening up next month but it's created an awful lot of controversy within the town of Berthet. One thing in particular is the pool. Now, this was all voted on before you took office, correct? Yes, it was. So yeah. <laughs> for the Berthet <laughs> residents that listen to our podcast, can you dive into that a little bit? Because um, it seems to me, and I've heard this from quite a few reliable sources, that even the lap pool that they put in, is like three and a half feet too short to be regulation to allow birth at high school swim team to actually use it as their, their swimming pool. From what I understand, that is correct. Um, I know the high school cannot use it as a competition pool, which oh. is devastating because they haven't had one since forever. Yeah. And they're the only high school in the district that doesn't. So they have to travel out of town. Um, so, oh my gosh. Yeah, where do they practice? Thompson Valley. Is where they typically okay. practice. Yeah, okay. um, 
But to dive in, so it was a ballot initiative, and Jen, I'll bring you up to speed on this yeah, one. It was do. a ballot initiative to be able to take out a 32, I think it was a $32.1 million bond to be able to build the rec center. That was voted down by the people in 2018, I believe, because um, it was right at the same time where we saw it happening here locally within Berthet that was happening at the state level mm-hmm. with voting down Amendment 112 with oil and gas, and mm-hmm. then, um, what was it, 151, or not one. I forget the uh, Senate bill um, that allowed um, the oil and gas. 181. 181, 181. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 151, something different. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, 181 that essentially did what 112 was voted down to do. Yeah. We saw that happen here on a local level within Berthoud because the $32.1 million bond was voted down. And then the board said, hey, we really need a rec center, so we're going to go ahead and take out a $16.2 million bond and go ahead and build it anyways. But then with that, they didn't make the pool big enough. So it's... (laughs) So three and a half feet was just too many million more? (laughs) It is over $30 million, um, the bond, currently. Oh, wow. Okay. It is significant. Um. I, I will dig into this, but I just want you to know my current position is like, well, we're into this now, and now we got to make the most of it and have it not <laughs> train wreck. Spoken like a true mother. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's it, right? Like, yeah, that's it's, not it's, an insult at all. It's funny how how many people when I ran were like, you're just too inexperienced. I'm like, how many kids do you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> how many out homes have you run? Because I don't know. I think I've had to be really creative over the years, but um, – this issue is, is is definitely a sensitive one, and it was very eye-opening, I think, for the citizens, um, me being one of the ones who voted against it, because it just wasn't fiscally sound the way it was proposed. Um, not that I didn't want a rec center, and not that mo- most people didn't want one. We really, truly wanted a place for kids to be able to, especially kids in our community, to have somewhere to be mm. that's safe and active and that we didn't have before. Um and obviously the competition poll would have been ideal. Um, so, but it was voted down because it was just not fiscally sound. It just didn't seem sustainable at the time, the way it was presented. Um, but it was terribly eye-opening when we saw that it was even possible to skirt around the vote of a public. I think that um, is going to have lingering lingering feelings in our community for everybody who remembers that um, because it's – Anytime you go against the will of people, it, it truly isn't constitution, right? Like it's this is we need to uphold what the people say and how they vote. So now we're like I said, we're into it. Um, I have toured it and I'm like, okay, well this is it's going to be a beautiful facility. Can we manage it? I've asked a lot of really direct questions when the the staff have, have presented. Like, is it going to be affordable? Because I heard it's not going to be affordable for families that are already paying crazy amount of taxes into it. You know, how do we make this? A, a good thing for our community. So it's, I think we're on the side of it where it's like, we well, now we need to make it work and we need to not repeat history. And I think that's where it's like, you gotta, you gotta vote people in that are listening to the community that care more about the, the, the will of the people than their own agendas. Cause that seems to me to be, like you said, that's a, on every level we're seeing leadership do that where it's like they have a motive and an agenda and they will, they will use that power and, um, push things through and I just don't have respect for that because I'm here to serve and so I'm hoping that I could set an example for others and oftentimes in those meetings I'll say hey can we do it this way can we try a different way you know and that's not usually received very well but (laughs) I'm going to keep trying and I hope it encourages people to step up and say I don't have all the information maybe this is a poor decision maybe we should listen and I think the best thing the board could have done after that vote was to push pause and say, why did they vote it down? How can we recalibrate? What can we, you know, what can we do to make this an actual viable thing for our community? Um, People are upset that we don't have a competition poll. I mean, that's just frustrating. The thing that broke my heart this year was that our, our outdoor pool got demoed because of how far gone it was. And there was no notice to the community that was even going to happen. And that, that one got, made me really frustrated because like they, they do use that. A lot of people use that and they didn't even have notice. It was just going away. And I think if, if they had had notice, they would have probably came and asked for a replacement of some kind. And 
um, I'm sure the funding would have even been there. So that's there's things like that where it's like there is a lot of friction, and this is why we need diverse opinions. So someone could say, hey, what about this idea, or why why are we doing this? Um, we need to not be shooting down other elected officials when they say something because it might have value. And if anything, we come to a compromise that makes the majority of the community more yeah. happy, you know? <laughs> Well, that's the point of an elected official. Yeah, you would think, right? <laughs> so how are you How are you moving forward with all of this? It sounds like, I mean, obviously the rec center and all of those things, but just sort of navigating your position as it stands right now and all of the, the pushback, how are you moving forward from that? Oh, I think it's just a matter of um, making sure that it serves a purpose that the community can enjoy. And if it doesn't, we need to figure out what to do and make sure it's affordable make sure people are using it, making sure that it is what it's supposed to be at the very least and mm -hmm. making sure that it doesn't, you know, sink our community financially. I think I'm, I'm impressed with our town administrator. I think he's, he's very intelligent and I think he's got a great plan in place. So I do have some faith in him and his plan. So I don't put anything on him that he's, um, he, I think he's going to do it, handle it very well. He's, he's recruited a great recreation, um, like a whole staff of people that are going to handle the recreation that have a lot of experience with recreation. So that gives me some hope that it's like we're bringing in people that know what to do and how to do it and make it a great experience and hopefully, a, you know, a fiscally sound one. I hope the board makes future decisions that isn't in the same vein. But I think no. that's, you know, I, I no. do think we have a great administrator and I think he will do great work with what he's got. Well, and even looking at with the pricing that came out, it's not that much more than the Loveland Rec Center. And so seeing that where you figure a family of four, 65 bucks a month is what that equates out to be. And that's reasonable. I mean, it's, it's not obviously with our tax dollars going into it. A lot of people were hoping that it would be less than that. You know, typically they're looking at Planet Fitness where they're paying 10, 20 bucks a month. <laughs> But um, with what the rec center is offering as far as the extra fields and, and some of the outdoor stuff, they're doing a good job on it, but it's definitely a point of contention for me with the pool yeah. <laughs> and yes. with how it was rammed through. And yes. so and I have a feeling that that might come back on a few of the trustees that are up for election in April. Yeah, I imagine that's going to be a hard one to live down. Um, that was a... That was a tough decision. Um, but like you said, I think just looking at the facility and checking on updates on how it's going, I, I think it looks great. I think it's, I think, we, I think it could be very useful. And if, if the prices stay competitive, then I think that could be a usable thing. It's still, you know, probably expensive to some people. So I, I hope they do some sort of, um, I don't know, charitable packages for those who can't afford it or first responders or something like that you know the thing that i am hoping for is that during the summer months they have just a, a kid pool pass or something That'd of that smart sort. that would be very smart yeah <laughs> being able to just drop you know take the kids down allow them to swim for a couple hours do something of that sort read a good book while they're doing that and uh, call yes. it a day Heck yeah. <laughs> so awesome well may thank you so much for being here and being on the podcast and being willing to to share um, you know, a lot of people that get the backlash, it, it's, this is the frustrating part is there's people that have said some very good things, but as soon as the hate comes towards them, they shut down. Mm -hmm. And being that you're still willing to go out and have the conversations and say, no, you aren't going to scare me away that easy. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to have the conversations is very important and much needed in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you I think so it's a big much. deal. You know? So uh, are you, are you sticking around for beer of the week? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> so being that we had uh, um, the first birthed trustee that we've had on the podcast, we figured we'd do a birthed beer. And so we have had City Star on before, but we figured it was a good time to bring them back because they've got two fantastic new beers that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So time for beer of the week. Well, the first one that we brought to the table actually is the Country Pumpkin. And it is actually, it looks like a revamp of what they were doing from 2012 to 2017, but they switched it up just a little bit. So um, it is a harvest ale brewed with pumpkin and spices finished with vanilla. So 
it's not as sweet as I thought it was going to be, and it's not as heavy as I thought it was going to be. And to be perfectly honest, I really want a big scoop of vanilla ice cream. Mm. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a, 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 beer a beer float. float. Yeah, the October, <laughs> you know, the Oktoberfest kind of beer floats. I love I it. just really want that. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, pumpkin spice lattes. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know, you a PSL on. gal? I hate PSL. <laughs> I, it's horrible. No, no. I, I hate it. But this one was really good. Yeah, it's not overwhelming in any any piece of the spice because sometimes you get punched in the face with, like, nutmeg or clove, and it's just not appetizing. This one's very good. Mm. I like it. I agree with your liner assessment. This is – it tastes like fall. It tastes it exactly how you want fall to taste. No. <laughs> I love uh, that. May, what's, love what's your take on it? I totally agree. It's just like a creamy, pumpkin-y goodness. I don't know. We're very spoiled to have City Star and Bertha. Yes. It's very good. Yeah, to have City Star and, and Bertha Brewing, they always put out I know. good beers. The other one that we have, of course, I, an IPA. It's uh, a hazy IPA. It's uh, Hazy Strata. And then do you have the breakdown on this yep. one? So it's a hazy IPA uh, dry hopped with strata hops at 6.6 um, alcohol by volume. The country pumpkin was 6.4%, by the way. But, yep, this one. Um, so it is a grapefruit, passion fruit, strawberry, dank flavor, um, kind of all rolled into one into this hazy strata IPA. Oh, what do you think? I like it, but most people know me that I like IPAs. So give me your take on it. <laughs> All right, I like the I like the grapefruit piece piece to it, and I like the hops. Too. It's too much. Too much on hops. It's okay. too much on hops. It kicks me in the back of the mouth. Um, it's not a bad sipping beer, though. I think it was even more cold than it. It's not, and you know we've been talking for an hour or so, so it's not nice and ice cold. Ice cold though goes down very smooth. The grapefruit, I always love grapefruit in anything, and it kind of does balance out the hops a little bit. So not not the worst. I actually really like this one. It's like she's an IPA gal, see, and I didn't think I was. It's just like super crisp and like bright. Like I, yeah. I don't know. It just is like that little bit of grapefruit zing in the beer. I really like it. Yeah, the grapefruit did it for me as far as likability. Yeah, mm. it's a good thing in the front. Fair enough. Yeah, I I really enjoy this beer. So I it's like not it's IPA. not overly fruity. And again, it's one of those that it's. Yes, you get the grapefruit, you get all of that, but it, there's mm-hmm. no artificial taste to it. Yeah, because I think at any point, if there's any artificial f- fruit flavoring in something, I don't want to drink it. It's actually kind of going back to the country pumpkin. There is pumpkin in there, but it's not punch you in the face pumpkin. Yeah. So I, they do a nice job of balancing out those fruit flavors. Pretty good. That's awesome. I so think, I think the next beer should be called punch you in the face pumpkin, though. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, we're starting a business together. Punch you in the face pumpkin beer is our first one. <laughs> I like it. So, yes, so the Hazy Strata and the Country Pumpkin from City Star. So if you have not tried those, definitely head down to City Star Brewery. Uh, It's a great place just to hang out and uh, sit back, enjoy a beer, and uh, relax. And they've got live music on, I think it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, something along those lines. So, um, yeah. Yeah, their beer garden is amazing. I actually love it. Yeah. Yeah. So Beer of the Week. So okay. City Star Brewery, definitely check them out. Awesome. Well, again, May, thank you for being on. Uh, it's appreciate. I always appreciate somebody that is an elected official that's willing to come on because we've reached out to quite a few of them that are not willing to come on. So oh, it's always thrilled. good. No, it's the, well, but I think it actually speaks to the transparency of some of those elect- elected officials. If they're willing to come on, even if I don't like what they're saying, just coming on and saying what they think is a big deal because – that defeats the purpose of being an elected official if you yeah. can't stand up for what it is you're you're standing for, right? Mm-hmm. And and some people that we've asked to come on, it's very obvious that they are afraid something is going to come out of their mouth that they don't want their people <laughs> that are backing them to hear. Yeah. It's always very interesting. So awesome. Well, that is another episode in the bag of The Native and the Transplant. As always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.